I'm going to continue talking on the same subject I've been talking on for the past few weeks. I want to deal with that theme of being unburdened. I want to go back to Matthew 11 and start there. Let's look at the words of Jesus once again. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's something I didn't point out in an earlier week, but it might be good for me to mention, when we think of yokes, we often think of an animal yoked to another animal in order to plow a field. That's not what Jesus is referring to here. He's talking about what we call a human yoke. In other words, a yoke put across the shoulders of someone that enables them to carry a heavy load. And sometimes life does give us a heavy load, but Jesus says in his teaching That's what yoke signifies in this passage. It was a common metaphor of the time. In his teaching, he gives us a yoke. The yoke is easy, which means it's well-fitting. It fits across our shoulders so that it doesn't leave us bruised and our skin chafed and, and sore. But also, our burden is light. There may be a burden that we carry, but we carry it not like the world carries its burdens, but we carry it as people of faith, walking in the way of the Lord. So the Lord's purpose for us is that His teaching bring a lightness to our lives and and a rest to our lives. You'll find rest for your souls says Jesus. And it isn't his will for us to come under the burden of so many things that people live with today. And that includes the burdens that some people experience through religious teachings that are well-intended but misguided. So Jesus in Luke chapter 11 refers to such teachings. He says, You experts in the law, he's talking about the scribes, many of whom were Pharisees. Woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. See, at that time, you had the law, and it was traditionally taught the law had 613 commandments. That's a lot of commandments. But it's nothing compared to how many commandments were laid on people by the time the scribes were busy and finished with their job. I mean, when you talk about the Sabbath, how do you observe the Sabbath? Well, you got to decide what constitutes work, right? So you have all sorts of rules about what constitutes work. And then you've got possible exceptions. Well, what are legitimate exceptions and what are not? You have this huge case law that's developed. So the one commandment to keep the Sabbath means you got to keep a thousand, two thousand different commandments. And this is multiplied through the Torah. And so through the traditions of human beings and their religious teachings that go beyond what God commands, burdens are laid upon people. And Jesus said, You experts, so-called, you lay all these burdens on people, and that's not what God intends. 
You don't do anything to try to help them. You just figure you speak the truth. You lay out the commandments of God and you let them worry about it. Says, woe to you for that. God is displeased with you for that. See, for Jesus, the person matters. For Jesus, you matter. And how your life goes matters. It's not just a matter of Jesus laying commandments on us and laying a teaching on us. He wants us to thrive. So he's against the kind of religion that burdens people. Instead, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, if you actually got down into what the scribes taught, you would find a lot of it was biblical. That is, they would, they would give good advice or really justified commands. And then they would add cultural commands that they would try to justify biblically. And by the time they were done, all of these burdens that they laid on people was kind of a mixed, a mixed load of God's commands, their commands, cultural expectations, the whole nine yards. And in that, they're a whole lot like we are today because a lot of us live with incredible weight on our lives because we live with the perfect person syndrome. Now, it may sometimes involve God's commands, but sometimes it just involves It involves family expectations or cultural expectations or perfectionism that we have in our own lives. But oh my goodness, oh my goodness, we pound ourselves with with shoulds and oughts and musts. You should read the Bible more. You should pray more. You should be unselfish. You know, when somebody asks you a favor, you should never say no because you ought to think of the other person first. You shouldn't displease anyone. You should always seek to please them. If they're mad at you, you should try to put things right between you. It all rests on you. You should be full of faith. You shouldn't worry about the future. You worry about money. What's wrong with you? I thought you were a Christian. You shouldn't worry about money. In fact, you shouldn't worry about anything. You shouldn't be anxious about anything. So why are you taking that antidepressant? You shouldn't be relying on that antidepressant. You should be walking in faith. I mean, we can go on and on, right? Should, should, should. You shouldn't still be dealing with that abuse that you endured as a child. You should be through that. You're a Christian. You got to forgive. You got to forget. You got to go on. In fact, you shouldn't be angry at all. When somebody does something wrong to you, you shouldn't be angry. No, you're a Christian. You should just let that go. Turn the other cheek. I mean, we can go on forever about all the shoulds that people live with. You really should be a better parent than you are. You should spend more time with your kids. But then again, you need to work a little extra maybe so that you can provide for them better than you do. Should be a better husband. You should be a better wife. You shouldn't be so defensive. You should be more generous. Do you give 10%? Why don't you give more? Should do more, should do, must, ought. 
we beat ourselves up with all of these requirements and no wonder we're miserable because we're constantly aware of our shortcomings. You know, you really shouldn't be overweight. Body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. I should lose weight. I shouldn't make a B in a class because I should study harder and spend all my time and make A's on everything. I should be successful in my career. I shouldn't make mistakes, shouldn't make mistakes. And I should be good at everything that I do. And I shouldn't even have to learn it. I should be good at it right at the beginning. I mean, some of the shirts we get into are just absurd, but people live with them. People in this room live with them. You should, you ought, you must. You come to church, you're hoping for some relief. And then you hear another should or ought or must. And it's like this burden that just weighs you down. That doesn't come from Jesus. Jesus says, my teaching, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you know the way a lot of people live? It reminds me of this time I was on the practice tee at the golf course. A dad brought his son out to teach him how to play. And it must have been the very first time because he was starting right at the beginning. He got his son standing up next to the golf ball and he put his hands on the club. Now, now he gripped the ball, club just like this. No, 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 no. Turn your right hand over a little. That's, that's good. Squeeze, put some pressure on that left hand. No, not the whole hand, just the last three fingers. That, that's good, that's good. Now, he's standing up there. So it's okay, take, take the club back and hit the ball in the Little boy takes the club back and swings and misses the ball. No, that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. But this time when you swing, keep your head still. Don't move it. Keep it still. If you keep it still, you'll hit the ball. He he tries to swing and he's all stiff and awkward and he misses it again. He says, no, 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 no. Keep your head still, but let your body relax. You've got to turn your body eventually tells him, you know, you got you to turn your body, turn your hips about 45%, turn your, your, your shoulders 90 degrees. I mean, it's, it's, he's going on and on. Every move that kid makes gets critiqued and corrected. They spent more time talking about, no, excuse me, The dad spent more time talking about what the son should be doing than the son ever did anything. I wanted to go over there and say, look, sir, I'm glad you love your son. I know you're trying to help him. Would you step aside and just say, hey, swing the club, have some fun. You know, just relax. But that's the way some of us live the Christian life. We got to get it right. There's so much to do. I remember when I was first saved, I don't know, I was 20, 21 years old at the time that I went to a, a, it was kind of a camp conference type thing and we had different breakout sessions. And one of the speakers was talking about how to study the Bible. Well, I was eager to study the Bible. I wanted to know everything about the Bible. I was so eager to learn. So the teacher said, you know, the way to go is inductive Bible study. It's not just studying doctrine. You've got to get into the Bible itself and study the Bible itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that's exactly right. Now, the way you do it is like this. And he handed out sheets. And there are three columns on each sheet. And you're supposed to pick a passage. And then 
on the left side, you outline the principal points of the passage that you read in the Bible. Don't read too much. You want to really focus in. So you'd outline the passage and note the special words and that sort of thing. Then in the next column, you would write your commentary. What does this passage mean? And then in the next column would be application. How can you apply what you just read? (laughs) Sounded great to me. So the first day, I get a passage, and I write down the paraphrase of what the passage says and note the important words. And then I write my own thoughts about here's what it meant then and what it means now. And then I got to the application. And I said, well, there are a lot of applications. One, and I wrote one. Two, three. I probably had six or seven practical things I could do based on that passage. Doesn't that sound great? Doesn't that sound like what you ought to do? Next day, I get another passage, do the same thing, but now I've got six or seven more (laughs) practical applications on that passage. And some of them are the same as the day before, but most of them are not. And the next day, the same thing. I couldn't make it through the week without having 40 or 50 practical applications on what I was supposed to be doing. I gave up on that in three days. There was no way I was going to be able to do this. I mean, you can multiply applications until you can't live anymore. You're like that poor boy on the practice tee at the golf course. You can't move. There are too many instructions. You're too burdened. That's not what Jesus called us to. I want to read a passage from Luke 10 that speaks directly to this. Verse 38, Jesus and his disciples were on their way. He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Now, there is a whole lot to this passage, not the least of which it's countercultural. Um, women in that culture, the kitchen and the back bedrooms belong to them, but the meeting room belonged to the men. And no self-respecting rabbi would allow a woman to sit at his feet while he's teaching. That would suggest that she was a disciple. And here you see Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. But let's put all that aside and focus just on the, the, the complaint that Martha had. Martha's doing good things and important things. They were, they were culturally expected things. She's the hostess. She's supposed to provide for everybody. And let's face it, somebody's got to take the meat out of the freezer to thaw. Somebody's got, you know, to prepare the meatloaf and and have everything ready for the guests. 
and Martha's doing that job and it is a lot and it is a burden and it's weighing her down and it ticks her off that Mary's just sitting there at Jesus' feet listening to what he's saying. Now, I get that. You get that, right? It's hard to not have sympathy for Martha. And she was really a marvelous woman. There's no question about that. We see that in other passages in Scripture. But she is so distracted and troubled, Jesus says, by many things. You don't need many things. A few things. A few things. But then he says, really only one. It's Mary who chose the one thing needful. So there's Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his teaching. If Jesus wants something or needs something, who will best be ready to do it, to provide it? Martha or Mary? See, this isn't a contrast between the doer and the contemplative. This is a contrast between one who has lost her focus and is burdened under with many, many, many things that need to be done, and another who sits at the feet of Jesus listening to his word, who's able to respond to that word in the moment. Now, you notice she's at the feet of Jesus listening to his teaching. She's not just studying the Torah and the 1613 commands, 613 commands, nor is she listening to the scribes and all of their extra input. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus and receiving this teaching from him. There's a relational aspect here. She wasn't, in other words, doing an inductive Bible study, listening to everything Jesus says and say, okay, now application, how can I put this? No, she is in the presence of the Lord. She is listening to his teaching and she's going to be able to respond to that teaching as it touches her life in that moment. She can't do everything. She wants to be a disciple. Everybody here in this room, we want to be disciples, but you can't do everything. At least you can't do everything at once. So what are you going to do right now? Where are you going to turn to know what God is calling you to now? You got a thousand things you could change in your life, but you can't do them all right now. So what is the Lord calling you to do? What is the Lord calling you to do? Sometimes Linda and I go out of town, and when we do, we have these, you might call them vacation conversations. We're away from all the stuff we've been doing and all the transactional conversations we have during a typical week. I mean, we're, we're removed from that. We're not in a hurry, and we end up having conversations that we often don't have, you know, about about the future and what we hope for or our relationship or maybe the kids or the grandkids or something like that. But it's not in a hurry and we're able to talk about really important things and, and those are things that impinge on our lives right now. Here's what I'm saying. It's very important as we, as we grow as disciples and as we follow the teaching of Jesus that we we have some vacation conversation with him really every day, pulling aside, getting away from all the transactional stuff. Oh, Lord, please help this. Oh, Lord, please do that. Oh, Lord, please do the other. Amen. Get away from that. Open the scriptures. Start with the gospels, not only the gospels, but 
definitely camp out some in the Gospels. Read the words of Jesus. Just spend some time with that. Pray. Don't expect a voice to speak. If a voice does speak, call me. We have a therapist. No, I'm, no, I'm kidding. I mean, the Lord may sometimes speak, but listen, we put way too much emphasis on that sort of thing, okay? It's not that you're looking for a voice to speak. It's that you're looking for unhurried time to be able to reflect, to consider what the Lord is saying, and to let the Lord guide you in your your next step of growth. What is it that the Lord wants you to do? I mean, you've got a long list, but, but he knows you. He knows what the great need is at the moment. He knows how to lead you forward. What needs to happen now? I don't know how to explain the way you come to know, but at least in my experience, there's a, there's a kind of growing awareness over time You just have a growing sense that this is what the Lord would ask of me. It's it's almost like a pressure on your spirit, but that's almost too, too, too precise a description. I think as you spend time with the Lord and time in his word, he may, he may, Put on your heart that there's something you have against someone and you need to let that go. You need to forgive. Or he might say that you have been thoughtless and unkind to your spouse and a change needs to take place there. And you didn't even realize it. You didn't even realize it. But remember, repentance is metanoia, a changing of your mind. You see it now in a way you didn't see it before and you you act on that. But the point is, it's not like you get a laundry list of everything that's wrong with your life that now you can should yourself to death with. But it's you having a relationship with the Lord. This is so, so important. Folks, we are not, as Christians, we're not just rule keepers. We don't just come and study the Bible for all its rules and principles, then line them up and think, okay, I've got to get it all together. It doesn't work like that. It is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And the scriptures help us to understand the mind of Christ. And it's in that relationship that the Lord shows you the next step. What do you need right now? There's no substitute for this. If you want want a vibrant Christian life, you have to have those vacation conversations with the Lord. You have to get away. You have to get quiet. You have, to, you have to be unhurried about it. Now, you may sometimes be unsure what you think the Lord is showing you. That's why we have brothers and sisters in Christ. We can share it with them, and they can give the, their perspective as well. You must learn to do the very same thing when you come to church and when you hear a sermon. You have to do the very same thing. I want you to think about this for a minute. So we've got quite a few people in this room, and we're going to have quite a few people in the next service, and I'm talking to all of you. So let's say I say something absolutely true, like, you know what? You cannot grow in Christ so long as you harbor anger and refuse to forgive. All right, that's absolutely true, right? Okay, but there are times when you have someone 
who has been wounded deeply, maybe someone who's subject to abuse, that do they need to forgive? Absolutely, but that's not the first thing they need. Many times, they refuse to even feel the anger. They don't even want to think about it. They're trying to put it out of their head. You need first some some honesty and some openness to the truth. But see, you come to the service and say you're in that position. You hear me say that. You say, oh, that's right. That's right. I've got to get rid of this. I got to, I got to you know, just let this, put this in the past. See, there's nothing wrong with what I said. But you have to use discernment to hear what the Lord is trying to guide you into at this moment in your life. Do you see what I'm saying? It's the same way we talk about, you know what? It's not for Christians to be burdened under. Jesus gives us a yoke that's easy and the burden is light. That's true. I'm not wrong to say that. That is true. Jesus said that, for goodness sake. But sometimes people could come in and they have experienced one blow after another after another and they can barely keep their head above water. They are this close to lapsing into a depression that will swallow them up and they feel it, they know it. And the burdens they feel are intense. And then they hear me say, hey, you have no business living under burdens as a believer That's not the way Jesus has it for you. And they think, oh my gosh, that's another burden. I'm a terrible Christian. But that's not the case. You see, there are times when the typical life, of course, for the Christian is as Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. But there are seasons of trial where the burden can be heavy. What I can tell you is through Christ, the burden doesn't have to break you. But don't let something I say break you. Or what anybody says in a life group break you. You need to take everything and listen to the guidance of God in it for you. That takes some wisdom. It takes some experience, some understanding of life and scripture. And sometimes we need counsel from one another to get there. But there are times when I'll meet with somebody one-on-one and I'll say, listen, here's what I want you to know. If I ever say, and I'll say this to him, anytime I say anything in a sermon that sounds like I'm contradicting that, just ignore my sermon. Everybody loves for a preacher to say they can ignore his sermon. But that's what I tell him. I said, just ignore my sermon because this is where you are. I need to tie it together. But we're not just looking for truth. We're looking for the truth that Jesus brings. And we're not just looking for truth as principles, but we're looking for truth as medicine applied to our souls. And there's no substitute for doing that in the presence of the Lord and in prayer seeking his discernment and his wisdom. I can't help but believe there may be some this morning that the Lord is drawing you by his spirit to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have sensed that for some time. Now's the time to respond. 
Lord, we thank you for your presence and your grace. We thank you for the freedom that you give. Lift the burdens from your people, Lord, the burdens that we place on ourselves. Lift them from us that we might follow you with full and joyful hearts. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.